podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And welcome to another episode of Monday Lynch Time. And ladies and gents, all the numbers point positive on this one because we took three points for the derby, we scored two goals, we have the bragging rights, and we even kept a clean sheet for once as well. I'm your normal host, ladies and gents, Dave Davis, and I am delighted as normal to be joined by the renowned and the respected David Lynch. David, how are we? Yeah, good, good. It's uh, it's always easier to sort of go into the week off the back of a, a derby win and, you know, Liverpool there coming in sort of off the international break. You, you want to start with the three points, don't you? And to get them against Everton, I think it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a positive start to this sort of next tranche of fixtures. So, uh, yeah, in, in, in a good mood and, and sort of looking forward to what's to come. Yeah, absolutely, because it could have been very, very different this show on the other hand. But we don't need to worry about that at all. I mean... It's one of those, I know it comes down to the result at the end of the day and the bragging rights, as we said. I almost don't want to stay towards a a negative at all because it's all about a win. But what were your honest thoughts on the performance on the day? Yeah, I mean, we've seen Liverpool play a lot better, haven't we, even even at times this season. So, you know, it, it wasn't a perfect one by any means. And I think you've got to you've got to reflect on the fact that, you know, would Liverpool have scored you know, even the first got would they have got the opening goal if it wasn't for that sort of helping hand, uh, yeah. for want, want of a better phrase, um, with the penalty? Maybe not. You know, <laughs> some elements of the performance in terms of the attack, they were they, they did they did look a bit blunt, and I thought Everton did quite well on the defensive side of things to close off spaces, and they were basically playing with the with the back eight at times, really, and and sort of really really defensive. So, uh, but. You know, you, you will never know on that front. Would Liverpool have tied them out? Would the subs have made the difference? Perhaps, you know, Liverpool have scored a lot of late goals this season. A lot of them have not been in sort of one goal victories, but they've scored a lot of late goals in sort of three one victories, haven't they, in games? And, and also, you, you know, you think back to Nunes at Newcastle as well. So, they, so they've got history yeah. for doing it. But, um, yeah, we, we can only go on the evidence we've got, which was that it wasn't a, a perfect Liverpool performance, but they, they find a way to win, which is, is worthy of, it, of praise all on its own, really. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when the thing seemed against them with the 12.30, the international travel, etc. So, yeah, three points. I mean, it, it's one of those from a player performance because there was no rush scoring four. There was no Gerard sort of getting a hat trick. There wasn't really any standouts. But naturally, in the bizarrest way, Mo Salah gets a double. Maybe in not his greatest game, let's put it that way again. Was there anyone who did sort of stand out for you on the day or you thought, you know, really sort of shone at all? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right to just firstly to go in on, on Mo Salah there. I, I think you're right to point out that he was he was absolutely miles from his best. I thought he had a really, really poor day and then 
he still comes up with two goals that, that win the match for Liverpool, which I think says a lot about him as a, a player, doesn't it? That he can still be that influential even when he's yeah. miles off his best. But in terms of sort of who I thought was, was the outstanding performer, I thought Virgil van Dijk for me was the one who stood out. I think in a game like that where things aren't quite going for you in attack and you're not at your fluid best, it's all about, you know, you've got to give yourself the platform to win it late as Liverpool did. And, and the way to do that is to defend and and keep hold of your clean sheet as much as you can and and and, and not give the, the opposition any encouragement. I thought absolutely key to that was Virgil van Dijk because, you know, if Everton were going to get anything out of this game, it was going to be from a set piece or on the break and, 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 and coming up through Dominic Calvert-Lewin using him as a, as a, you know, a, a ball to sort of bounce the ball off and, and then move up the pitch in that way. They just didn't get a sniff of doing it because I thought Van Dyke absolutely dominated Calvert-Lewin and then better when he came on. Uh, just from, from the first whistle to the last, really, just didn't give them a sniff at all. Um, you know, there's been so much talk, hasn't there, about Van Dyke in terms of, not quite being as good as he once was, but he's still he's still right up there, um, you know, as, as one of the best defenders in the Premier League and in, in the world, in fact. So, and I think he showed that um, in, in this game. He was just, just just relentless, really, in terms of you know. One thing I would say about Dominic Calvert Lewin is, you know, he's he's had his injury problems, but he's, he's a top class centre forward. And and what you'll see when he's playing against other centre halves is that he'll win a lot of headers. He's really good at timing his jump and getting up there. And that helps Everton get up the pitch, but just time after time after time, the the the, the relentlessness and consistency with which Van Dyke seemed to win headers against him was just ridiculous. And we we almost we, we become sort of lax about this, about praising it and pointing it out because right. we become so used to it. But it it's it's outrageous that he's you know one of the best centre forwards in the Premier League, and he's just got him on toast time and time again. And and it's worth pointing out. I thought yeah, so for me, Van Dyke was the was the man of the match in this game. Yeah, it is crazy. Even it was great to see. I remember there was one where Canate made a slight error and misjudgment and McNeil went through and he still even turned the afterburners on as well to catch yeah. McNeil and snuff that out. So, yeah, it was great to see Virgil. And Hopefully, we're talking about this as almost close, if not back to his imperial best that way as well. And the, the one thing, you know, they like say maybe not the, it's not a derby for the ages, but... If you think back as well, it did actually have incidents. They, they always do, don't they? Whether it be a, a Van der Meder elbow, a Gerard yellow, the Naismith stamp, the Neville hand, but there's always something that goes on in the derby. So I did want to sort of run through, it almost feels like that ref show now with Dermot Gallagher, but there was a lot of major talking points from the derby. So just your honest take on, on these big ones. Ashley Young, any complaints at all, despite what the, the Blues are saying? No, I, I I can't see how anyone can sort of argue with that one. It, it, it's such a, 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 a apparently, and to be honest, I, I haven't actually seen the first yellow back. Maybe there is some question mark over whether that, but I, I remember watching it at the time and not thinking there was any question over it or thinking, you know, it looked an immediate yellow to me, you know, um, that foul. And then the second one, he just dives in, doesn't he? It, 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 it's crazy, really, from a player of his experience. It's not something you would think he would do, particularly when, you know, Diaz is out in a, a position where he's tight to the byline. It's, you know, yes, he's got a chance to create, but it's, you know, you've squeezed him a little bit. You've made it more difficult for him. Don't get yourself sent off. So I, I just don't think he can have any complaints about that red card at all, really. I was just sort of surprised, as I say, that he dived in in the way he did because, you know, he's a, he's a player who's been in the, around the Premier League for such a long time. It was just a, a real moment of madness for him. And yes, it's, it's early in the game. And, and you, you know, we've said ourselves in terms of, 
not wanting to see players sent off for, for sort of nothing infractions. But I don't think this was. I think it was two really nailed on yellow cards. And he had, in fact, kicked the ball away not that long before he got his second yellow card. So could have actually earned himself one through that. So, you know, he was already sort of sailing close to the wind. And, and so, yeah, absolutely no complaints about that red card. I don't think anyone can argue against it, even though, of course, we're seeing that some Everton fans are trying to. Yeah, it is, it is strange. It's, as I say, it's just strange for, for the player with that experience, but we'll take that fortune all day long. And kind of when the penalty came, it did seem it was a state of like the pressure. We almost were, we were, I was in the cot, we were appealing for everything because he's getting towards the, the end of the game. But the actual penalty for you, Michael Keane, his arm placement, honest thoughts on that one? Yeah, again, I think, you know, we, we know the rules, don't we, around this. It, it's it's lucky for Liverpool in terms of Michael Keane is not trying to block the ball. He's not, you know, there's no incentive for him to, to handle it there and he's not trying to do that. Um, so it is unlucky in that sense. And, I, you know, th- there's an injustice in that, I suppose, in that it's not an intentional sort of foul or anything like that. But I think when you when your arms out that wide these days and the cross is coming in and the distance between from where the cross is coming from was was big enough it just looked immediately to me like a penalty i mean we are up in the in the press box in the main stand sort of not right behind it but you know we we're, we're close to the middle of the pitch but you had a really really good angle to see where the ball had come from where the arm was when it hit it and the force it hit it with and 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 that it clearly stopped the cross coming in i just think in this day and age and, and with the current handball rules, it's it's 100% a nailed-on penalty. So, yeah, unfortunate for Everton and, and, and quite lucky for Liverpool, really. But, but again, not one way you look at it and say there's been an injustice done. It's, it, it's just a, It just is a penalty at the moment. Yeah, it does seem quite straightforward. And I kind of uh, agreed with Sean Dyche afterwards when he said, like, why we have the whole rigmarole of sending the ref to the screen. We all yeah. know what's coming at the end of the day, but that's part of it. And, one thing that, that that he did comment on, and I've got to be honest, when this happened, it, it was squeaky bum time in the cot when I was. Canate's non-second yellow, maybe that's the right, right way to phrase it, as he clips Beto there. On his thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think he's, he's, you know, the manager said himself, he's he's very, very lucky, isn't he, to stay on? I think, you know, I think I think this situation shows you kind of how easy it is to get sent off these days, you know, in the terms of, you know, he, he gets his first yellow and then it, it's a situation where, you know, Everton, they're on the break. It's, you know, Virgil van Dijk's on the cover, so it's not, you know, he's not straight in. But I think he doesn't intentionally trip him at all. He's just running behind him, but he clips his legs. But you've seen so many times that get given as a yellow card. It was kind of surprising that he got away with it. I think the main difference you would say to the Ashley Young one is that, you know, Young, as I said, he dives in. Whereas Canate, it's completely inadvertent. He's trying to get around the back of him and he sort of clips his legs as he's running. And so maybe that sort of goes in his, his favour in the, in the referee's mind. But as I said, you know, there's so many times we've seen that as a yellow that for it to not come out, particularly with Liverpool's look this season that they've had with red cards, you know, already had four this season. I think, you know, it was a surprise to everyone that he didn't get sent off and, and sort of fortunate that he didn't. But I think, again, you know, if, if people keep saying to Liverpool supporters, don't they, in terms of, oh, these things even themselves out. So maybe it was a, a little bit of one of those because for them to be on five red cards at this stage of the season, given there's been no sort of uptick in how, how they play the game in terms of aggressiveness or, 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 you know, playing in a dirty way or whatsoever, it would have just seemed absolutely criminal, wouldn't it? Yeah, it just... Yeah, absolutely. Chris. It's insane. So now often we've topped the, the fair play league under Jurgen Klopp to what it would have been now. But yeah, fortunately, there is no 
alternative universe, like we mentioned earlier. So a nice 2-0 and moving on. But before we move on, one thing I do want to sort of try and do in these is, is focus on certain players or certain things that, that we're seeing coming out. And I know you've written about this as well, David, that Liverpool very much this season, and this is a positive sense, the bench is really playing a part, isn't it, when they make those attacking changes? You know, that that's the strength and depth that we've got, especially in that front five and a lot of people referring to that. But one player that I really want to sort of focus on at the moment that is, and I think starting to get praise from his, his cameos, is Harvey Elliott from the bench. That that seems to be his, you know, real strength at the moment, that he's making these cameos, he's having an impact, be it with 10, 11, whatever it may be. And even on Saturday, he's... Yeah, he's probably unlucky not to score. It's a good save for, from Prickford. Maybe you could argue that should be saving it just above his head. I mean, it's one of those for Harvey that the cameos are good, the subs made a real impact, definitely a positive. Maybe the when he started in the cup competitions, both domestic and European, maybe not quite shone, shall we say, as bright as others. How do you honestly kind of assess his season so far when you're looking at him and does he make the next step, so to speak, as well? Yeah, I mean, ju- just on Saturday's performance, I think, you know, what he does really well is he completes 31 out of his 31 passes that he attempts. And also, yeah. every single one of those passes has information on it. He's trying to get Liverpool playing. He's trying to speed the the, the speed the play up because that's, you know, Liverpool's biggest problem at the point he comes on is that they're not playing quick enough to disorganise Everton. And so he comes on, he's picking little pockets, um, and, and he's trying to get them playing in the way that they should be playing when they're trying to break down a team like that. He's picking up nice little spaces. He's encouraging others to get into those spaces, to find gaps in Everton's formation. And I absolutely love that about him as a player. And I think, in fact, that sort of sums up why he's been such a good sub for Liverpool this season is a lot of the time he's been coming on in games where Liverpool are looking for that late goal. Well, you know, like I said, they've, they've won a lot of games 3-1, haven't they? Or, or the, you know, the, the, the Newcastle yeah. game, he comes on and he's really influential in that. They're looking for goals in that game. Um, and so a lot of these situations when he's come on have really suited the style of player that he is because he always plays in that way. He's always looking for those gaps. He's trying to be creative. Um, and the stats bear out that he is a really creative uh, passer that he does, he does make things happen. So I think that's why... He's looked so good when he's come on. Obviously, I think he's a, a really high quality player. In terms of the reasons he's maybe struggled when he's got starts, is that you know the the pace of the game is slightly different at the start. It's not that it doesn't necessarily constantly need that energy of improving. Maybe it's more about patience and 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 not trying to make things happen all the time. Maybe that is what's gone against him. And I also think at the moment in his development of his career, at the moment he's in a, a stage where. He's not quite hit that level where he can account for the fact he isn't as physical as, as, as many other midfielders. So, you know, you saw he comes in for the start at Brighton. He'd obviously done enough in training to deserve that, to be in ahead of Gravenberg. But I think you really saw his lack of physicality counts against him. I think, you know, Brighton have got a lot of runners and he's not the quickest and they've got some strength in midfield as well. And again, he's not the strongest. So, you know, there, there can be situations in games where he can be sort of he can really sort of pay for that lack of physicality. But there are certain games where I think he can come in from the start and really suit him. And I think, you know, at the moment, the, the run Liverpool are in, I'd like to see him maybe start a couple of these where the, the playing sides lower down the table, particularly when it's at Anfield as well, where, it, you know, it, the, the whole game is going to be about Liverpool dominating possession and trying to pick out holes in the opposite formation. I think that's what he's really suited to. But at the moment, we're, we're seeing some of his weaknesses get underlined by the fact he's being thrown into games that maybe w- won't suit him. So 
I think, you know, it's just a balance, isn't he? He's such a young player. He's got a lot of time ahead of him to sort of iron out his weaknesses. And also, he'll just hit a level in terms of his ability with, with the ball that it will sort of surpass all the, you know, the, the issues around his physicality eventually won't matter. But we're just in that sort of spot at the moment where he's learning and he's ironing out those kinks. So that's just got to happen as it goes. And, and, and in the meantime, you know, if you can keep, doing as much as he can on his on his starts, but also just keep being this great option off the bench, then I'm sure it's going to happen for him at Liverpool. Because I just, yeah, he, he has been, I think, fantastic off the bench this season. I, I think there's a lot more to come from him as a starter as well. I think it's, you know, you've just got to accept sometimes that young players are not going to be the finished article. There are going to be issues in the game. And I think that's what we're seeing with Harvey. We're seeing a lot of the good, but also some of the bad sometimes. And, and that's just the nature of, of developing players, I suppose. Yeah, very true. And, and everything off the field, we know he loves Liverpool, great connection with the fans, so that's all positive at the same time. And it's interesting because I saw even a few bits on social media, which I thought had some validity to it, people comparing almost like Joe Cole-style player, that flair, you know, off-the-cuff things back in the day, that ability. And even like Odegaard's brother at Arsenal, a, a similar comparison, a left-footed attacking midfielder. And it was something I, I sort of wanted to ask you because, Position's always going to be an interesting one for Harvey because you look, he played that number 10 for England, didn't he, during the international break? And he was absolutely outstanding in some of their games. There's no other way of putting it. And it's that natural thing that Liverpool don't play with a 10. So is he going to be the right side midfielder, you know, with a right of a front three, the most Salah, all, all those types of things. Do you think, I suppose, Jurgen Klopp almost sees him as the right side or right side of midfield option now? And do you think long-term that's where he does end up for Liverpool if he is successful? Because his position's always going to be one that's questioned, isn't it, so to speak? Well, I think I think what would really sort of suit him at the moment, if, if he was to get a regular run in the team, it would be nice if Liverpool were playing a sort of 4-2-3-1 and, and playing him on the right-hand side of that. Because I just don't think, in a 4-3-3, playing as the Mohamed Salah in that role, he just doesn't have that sort of electric pace for me to be a real yeah. threat particularly with the way Liverpool play there. So I think what you end up with is a compromise is because he can't play in that 4-3-3, Liverpool aren't using the 4-2-3-1. He gets sort of dragged back into that right-hand side of midfield. I think, you know, in the long term, I think he's more than capable of playing there. But as I said, I think it's maybe is a role that maybe sort of emphasises some of his weaknesses at, at, at times. So that that's the problem he's facing at the moment. But I think, you know... <laughs> there's no doubt that I think that he's going to be a success at Liverpool and I think it's going to happen for him and I think the manager thinks that as well. So, you know, debates over his position, I suppose, are are probably irrelevant because I think this is where Liverpool see him playing. This is where Jurgen Klopp wants to get him into his team. So, it's all about can we we cover off those weaknesses? Can we get him to learn how to how to sort of mitigate for those things. And so I think think that is in the long term, it is going to end up being his position because as I say, I just don't think out wide in that 4-3-3 hasn't quite got the pace for it there isn't a number 10 position available so he just has to sort of get on with it and and learn that midfield role and, and get there and at the end of the day he's got an awful lot of time to do that you know you look at Phil Foden at Manchester City he's got three years on, on on Harvey Elliott and he played a lot less football at this stage of his career he was kept in and out and he's still not really massively trusted in that sort of central position particularly by Gareth Southgate is he or, or, but Pep Guardiola doesn't really like to use him there either so True. it's getting a lot of good experience at the moment and a lot of opportunities to learn and, and, and even though it might not perfectly suit him you know I, I back him to adapt and, and, and get there eventually because he, as well you know it's worth noting he's, he's playing under a manager who's so so good 
developing young players. So I think, you know, all the things that we're seeing that that, that, that need ironing out, I, I think he will get there and, and sort those because I think the manager's shown time and time again he's able to do that with young players. And also Harvey's got the the talent, the attitude, everything that's needed to sort of make it at Liverpool as well. So I, I just think it's going to be a, maybe a slow process and, and there will be games where it doesn't quite work for him. But, you know, if they stick with him, I think that, that right side in midfield position, he can he can be a success there. Yeah, absolutely. And you do forget, like you say, you keep coming back to it because he's almost since he's been here for an eternity, but he is still so young, so plenty of time on his side and fingers crossed. Hopefully, I'd suspect, sort of moving into the, the next one to lose, it would be no surprise to see his name on the team sheet. I mean, just forget the games are coming thick and fast now. There's to lose on Thursday before Forest visit Anfield, three in a week at Anfield seems crazy, but there we go on that Sunday. I mean... The problem is, as we look back to that Everton one, you look at Elliot, Darwin coming off the bench, almost who was not starting, shall we say, or who came on or even didn't come on in some circumstances as to giving us clues. How do you think, and I'm thinking especially now even with Simicast, which we'll probably come on to in a, in a bit, being you know the only natural left-sided option, how do you see the lineup for Toulouse? How do you think you'll rotate it for that one? Yeah, on on left back thing, I think in you know we got a little bit of a clue as to this one um, at the academy on Sunday, which um, the under twenty ones played a game against Benfica in the uh, Premier League International Cup, and although Callum Scanlon had obviously been on the bench, hadn't he in the Merseyside derby, so that looked like okay, maybe yeah. he might be the next cab off the rank, but actually he was on a, on the bench from the from the start of the under twenty ones game, and it was it was Luke Chambers who got the nod, which I think sort of gives you a little bit of a clue as to what the sort of thinking is there. Now, Scanlon did come on at halftime for Chambers, but I think with Chambers, what they're trying to do there is, you know, get some minutes into his legs because he, he'd had a, a slight ankle injury over the international break. So it very much looked to me like one where, you know, the, the warming Chambers up to maybe, you know, play 45 minutes in that game, which Jarrell Quanta did exactly the same thing, by the way. And I think he's a, a nailed on start on Thursday. So Chambers did the same, both came off at halftime. So, you know, and also I'd say what puts him ahead of Scanlon is sort of physically as well. Chambers looks a lot more ready for for adult football. So for me, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see him start in the Europa League, which is I think is exciting because I think he's a, a really good young player. Sort of looking forward to to seeing him um, if he does get that opportunity. And I think yeah, this could be a really good chance for him as well because there's there's games in the Europa League, games in the League Cup coming up, and obviously Simicast can't play in all of those or probably won't play in any of those because yeah. he's going to be on Premier League duty at the moment. So, um, yeah, hopefully an, an opportunity for, for Luke Chambers in this one. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's interesting, like you said, Quanta, you think would, would start. I mean, that you, we can speculate, obviously, on the, the defence another time. But I'm thinking midfield, were you... It, it, it may be a straightforward no. Was there any surprise that Endo didn't get any minutes at all in the derby for you? Because surely that naturally means he's nailed on for this one. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I yeah, would have expected him to start this regardless. But I think uh, the, the surprise over his lack of minutes is kind of, I, I mean, I think at that point in the game, you know, Everton are in it all the way through, aren't they? You know, it's only when Salah scores in the 97th minute that the game's wrapped up. So maybe it's, you know, Klopp is looking at it and thinking, I don't want to change the balance here. Liverpool are dominating. And they did. They controlled possession a lot, didn't they? Even though the scoreline was close. 
Um, he maybe didn't think, okay, I need to drag McAllister out here because he's got, he's, you know, he's going to get rested on Thursday. There was no sort of urgent need to pull him off. And if you change the balance in that midfield, maybe it would have caused some problems to Liverpool, you know, particularly in that holding role. Um, so maybe not surprised that Endo didn't, didn't feature in, in that one because I do think he's, he's basically nailed on surely to, to start this and, and get another opportunity to impress. And, you know, I think a big game for Endo as well because, you know, th- that debate will still keep going, won't it? Around. Yeah. Sort of McAllister and whether he's a good fit. I think we saw he was very good in the the attacking phase and and and, and what he did there, but not so great in the defensive phase. And there were some elements of that that didn't look so great. So I still think that position is up for debate. So Brendo, games like this have got to be a real opportunity for him to come in and impress and show that okay, maybe the manager should go down a different route. But you know, he has to sort of really grasp the chance, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Especially that midfield team in a good way getting so competitive because Ryan Gravenberch was outstanding on Saturday at the same time. And you'd think for, for Toulouse that Curtis Jones probably still serving that suspension. I think Forrest is the last game of it. So it would make sense that he started him. I yeah. suppose forwards, David, that, that you'd, I might be wrong, you may disagree, but you probably fancy that the Darwin to start, having come off the bench quite late as well. Hopefully, it seems that the Gakpo should be available for that one. And that Ben Dokener was carrying a muscle knock, so fingers crossed he's good for this one as well. Would that be what you'd be steering towards as your front three right now? Yeah, I think with Nunez, you've just you you want to get some minutes in, and maybe you know if you can play an hour in this one because for me. You know, he should be the starting centre forward in the Premier League at the moment. I, I, you know, I think the reason he wasn't against Everton was those cramps that he'd suffered on international duty. But I think, you know, getting back in the team in this one, maybe don't play him for the 90 minutes because you can give him the weekend. But, you know, to get 60 minutes out of Nunez, I think would be really good. Fingers crossed, you know, Gakpo is, is ready as well. You know, you want to get some minutes into him to sort of prepare him and, 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 and get him back up to speed as soon as possible because he's been so important this season. And then, yeah, with, with Doak, it's a case of if he is ready, that would be, you know, great to see more of him. Or, you know, maybe the manager thinks there, there are other ones of his senior forwards that he needs to keep in a little bit of rhythm or, or, or get a little bit more out of them. We'll, we'll sort of have to see how that plays out. But I, yeah, you would hope that Ben Doak is fit because I think, you know, he's been really exciting so far to see him and he, you know, he's, he's an exciting style of player, isn't he? So hopefully he's, he's, he's fit enough to be part of this one. Yeah, absolutely. Fingers crossed. And it's a, another three points. No, no injuries, taking to, total control of the group and moving on to, to Forest. And it, it is off the field I, I want to speak to you about. Because I know we've talked about it before that injuries are an interesting one because it, it seemed before the Andy Robertson situation to have been a, a decent start to the season that way. And then I know we've talked about the almost usual vagueness, shall we say, of Jurgen Klopp or not providing all the information, however people want to to phrase it in that regard. I mean, the last update, as, as he said in the press conference, was that Andy Robertson needs surgery, you know, for, for that injury, for that shoulder. Is there anything more you sort of can offer listeners in regards to, is it just the club sort of being surgery, no timescale, wait and see? Is that where we are with Robertson at the moment? Yeah, so the, the the latest on that really is that I think the surgery was to sort of take place early this week. So that could be today, maybe tomorrow. Um, that was the, the sort of timescale in terms of that I was given. In, in terms of going forward in, in his recovery, um, 10 to 12 weeks is is sort of the, the timescale that, that privately is being suggested in terms of the, the likely comeback period for Robertson. So, you know, hopefully he's on the, the, the shorter side of that. He's a player who doesn't get injured a lot. And hopefully, you know, some of the players in the squad 
the medical staff will save them, that they, they recover more quick quickly than others. So, you know, yeah. we don't have a lot of data on Robbo to, to to say whether he is that sort of player because he doesn't he just doesn't get injured a lot. But hopefully he's he, like I say, he's on the shorter side of that and it's more ten weeks than than twelve. But we'll you know, he has to undergo the surgery first and, and that's something for early this week and then then you get a prognosis and, and, and see how he goes from there. But yeah, hope hopefully sooner rather than later because he is a he's such a big miss. Yeah, no, no doubts about that. And because it, it, it was interesting that he, it wasn't bad. I'd never label it that, but I think there was a, yeah, Simicast is is not Robertson, never will be. But you'll always get the the back in that way. And two players that I did want to talk about because a, a few people have asked me to, you know, ask you this, and I had this take, and I might be completely wrong on this, that Jurgen Klopp sort of going back before the international break had alluded to the fact that we might be seeing. Tiago and Stefan Bajsetic, you know, back sometime, almost indicating quite soon, if not straight away from the international break. But all he said in the last press conference, just before Everton, was they're still injured. I mean, it kind of seems to be a, a question. I know I can't just keep asking it each week, but is there any sort of real update on Tiago or Stefan Bajsetic at the moment? No, to be to be quite honest, unfortunately not. I mean, you know, constantly asking people at the club around this and, and trying to get more insight on it. But I think, you know, the, the, the suggestion you get really on both players is that they're very much injuries that are sort of wait and see type injuries in terms of, you know, if you break your foot or whatever, there's a, a really good rough idea of how long that takes to heal. And they've got, you know, they know exactly how long that takes. And they'll say, okay, he's going to be out for six weeks or seven weeks, what whatever. Um, but with Thiago and Bajcetic, the, the nature of the injuries it's been suggested to me is sort of one of those where, look, as soon as they stop feeling pain or discomfort around that area, then they will be available to play. And and, and, and that's yeah. just how it goes, really. They'll be available to sort of rejoin training. I mean, it's particularly frustrating with Bajcetic because he, he came back, he, he got back into training, he, he played a game and then obviously suffered that setback. And, and Thiago's obviously got his, his setback of his own. So... Yeah, just frustrating situation, really, but very much sort of wait and see injuries, and you just hope that you know they will suddenly reappear in training soon. Um, you know, prior to the international break, I was sort of given hope that that both of them would be close to being back at this point. Um, yeah, I haven't seen any sign of them yet, so obviously that's not the case. But fingers crossed, they're sort of sticking to that timescale, and they actually aren't very far away at all. You know, could we see them in training before Thursday or before the weekend? Let let's hope so, because again. You know, to Liverpool have got good midfield options, haven't they? We've seen already this season, but to get those two back would just take things up to another level. They're both really high quality players. So, yeah, no, I, I, I accept that that's not sort of a, a great update in terms of what we know, but it's, you know, that, that is the situation at the moment. Like I say, it's just a very much both wait and see injuries and we, we just have to hang in and, and hope they reappear in training soon. Yeah, fingers crossed, especially with all the, the games. Although, as we said, there might also be a chance for the, the next cabs off the rank. Like you mentioned, Callum Scanlon, Luke Chambers, who is quite a, a bit of hope, as people have said, for Luke Chambers. They had a good spell on loan at Kilmarnock. So it would be great to see an opportunity for a lad that apparently was courted by Xavi Alonso at, at Leverkusen in the summer as well. So something like that could be interesting. I mean, the, the final question I did want to ask you about this week is... <laughs> I know the Everton game, you know, it was a it was a win. It wasn't the greatest performance, but a win's a win. With the run of games we've got coming up, especially almost the the other bookend of this period at City away, is it just a case of 
win, stay injury-free, keep it moving for you? Is that how almost you see in this period? Not that results are irrelevant, but just win, keep it moving type of thing. Yeah, I, th- I think there's an element of that certainly in the Everton performance because you know you know what that sort of game is going to be like. The Everton come to make it ugly it's straight after the international break, so you're not at your absolute best rhythm wise. But I, I do think this, you know, I think there can be more in this period. I think it's you know because the teams you're facing are lower down the table, it is an opportunity for Liverpool to sort of announce themselves, isn't it, and say. Look, we're in a title challenge here. Never mind just going for the top four. And also, you know, even if it is just going for the top four, put some distance between fifth as, as quickly as you possibly can. Yeah. And games like this are a real opportunity to do that. So, you know, yeah, you want to see, I want to see Liverpool win these, you know, these next three in the, in the league in particular, going into that international break and then Man City away. But I think, you know, it'd be nice to see if they can, you know, perform well and maybe put a few goals on someone in that period just to show that they can. Uh, that they're capable of doing it and, and being that sort of dominant force again, um, and I think the, yeah, these these games are opportunities to do that to show your your best football and show that you're you know at a different level to what you were last season. And so yeah, ho- hopefully we see a little bit of that in this period and, and, and some of that real free flowing football that you know we were sort of denied on Saturday because of the nature of Everton's performance and the and the schedule and the fixture. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely fair, especially like it's becoming so congested at the top, isn't it? That literally a, a point point behind, you know, from, from there, obviously I know Spurs have got to play, so probably shouldn't say that too soon in, in all honesty. But probably the, I kind of lied there because I know I said that would be the final question, but just on what you see at the moment, because it's a good time to to evaluate for us. And I suppose in the in the competition, City are always going to be on it. I know you said you fancy we could, with a bit of luck, etc., be in the mix as well. Anyone else you think in, in a genuine title race at the moment? I know it could be almost too early to talk for some, but we are getting towards double figures for games soon enough, aren't we, in the league? So who are you kind of seeing as the main runners and riders at the moment? Yeah, so I, th- I think if Liverpool are going to are going to be up there, obviously, like I said, you know, City are the one, aren't they? I know they've been a bit wobbly this season and they haven't quite gotten going, but that that happens so frequently with City that they, they have they have a couple of odd results early in the season and people start going, oh, maybe this is the one where they fall off, and then they they just don't. So I expect them to get going pretty soon. I'm I'm sure they will. Um, and in terms of other candidates, really, I think it's hard to look past Arsenal. I think you know what they did last season was. You know, a, a sort of a, an overperformance on what they probably were to 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 take City as late in the season as they did, and then it sort of fell apart a little bit. But I think you know you have to respect the amount of points they've, they've picked up so far this season. It's I, I actually don't think they've performed as impressively as, as last season in terms of you know just yeah. watching how they played. I don't think they've been as good. They haven't been as slick. But they still keep grinding out the points, and they showed that against Chelsea. They weren't in that game for for long periods, and yet they still come away with a with a draw away from home. Which you know, so you've got to respect that their ability to grind out results, because I think that's something we praise Liverpool for, and say that that's what gets them in title contention a lot of the time is is winning or picking up points when you're not playing particularly well. So Arsenal has shown a knack for doing that. So I don't think you know. I would have said at the start of the season, I would never have maybe, I, I would have thought Arsenal would have suffered some drop off. But until we see evidence of that actually happening, um, it's only fair to say that they're, they're going to be in the title, in title contention in this early start, the early part of the season. Yeah, indeed, indeed. It well looks that way. And fingers crossed by the time we're talking next week, it's three, well, top of the group, maintain, shall we say, against Toulouse. 
and another routine, easy game against Forest. Where, like you said, we'd have to talk about a card, a VAR, but or an injury. But let's see. But all it really leads me to say is, fingers crossed. Again, is it good when we're talking next week? But nice to catch up as ever, Mister Lynch. Thanks for your time. No, thanks for having me. Good stuff. And ladies and gents, that was another Monday Lynch time for Anfield Index. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.